You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Charlie, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the uh, the way we met um, virtually here, but um, why don't you introduce yourself for our audience? Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm Charlie Harrison, 31-year-old office tenant broker, CBRE in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, tried to be a little more active on Twitter the last year, year and a half. Uh, I've made some good friends on there, and um, I guess you and I connected kind of just randomly via direct message, and uh, that's how I got invited on. Uh, yeah, I was you know, mindlessly scrolling through my Twitter feed where I follow a bunch of uh, commercial real estate personalities. Some of them are people I know, others are pseudonyms that I don't know who's actually behind them. I think I think somebody liked a Twitter thread that you posted about rostering buildings and canvassing tactics and stuff like that. And I, being a former tenant rep myself, just ate it up. So I figured it would be a pretty good conversation for us to uh, dive into for our audience here, specifically, yeah. you know, our, our tenant rep audience. So um, just so everybody knows, Charlie, what's your Twitter handle? Um, it is Harrison C-Mac, H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N-C-M-A-C, at Harrison C-Mac. Cool. So give Charlie a follow, and then um, you'll undoubtedly find his threads about, you know, kind of his tactics for tenant rep, which um, are, are some of the probably, like, less discussed areas of, of like, what the job is really like, um, at, you know, once once people get into the business. So, Maybe you could start by talking about like what you thought tenant rep was like as you were getting into it and, you know, what it actually like has turned out to be as, as you've gotten in, in, into your career here. I thought that probably naively thought that it was um, I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't go into this thinking it would be bells and whistles and he, and and, you know, you just pick up the phone and cold call half million square foot users and they land in your lap. But I, I didn't understand the kind of like start to finish, do it all yourself, put the marketing pieces together. We, like, we've got a lot of service lines at CBRE that help with this, but I'm kind of a control freak. And, um, and so from, you know, stacking a building to making the calls to scouring the internet for emails and phones and stuff like that, it's, um, it's a lot of legwork, like, like to, sit, to have a list of a hundred names and phone numbers to call through probably takes hours and hours of, of legwork kind of leading up to that behind the scenes to make sure um, you're calling the right person, the data is good. You know, we're at CBRE with a massive, massive firm. So I got to make sure I'm not um, accidentally stepping on the toes of other brokers, even brokers in other markets um, that might have a relationship with the firm that I'm looking to call. So there's a lot of like behind the scenes research and screening that goes into sitting down to try and drum up business. It's not just walk the building, call the building. It's a lot, lot that goes into it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned walking the building. Do you have a defined geography 
um, that you cover in Atlanta? Is there a certain like, you know, list of buildings or kind of geographic geographical boundary that you work within, or is it, you know, a sector focus? What's your, what's your kind of uh, mandate as a, as a I, tenant rep? I would say I'm for better, or for worse, pretty general across the board. Um, good friend at CBRE in New York city. That's co-head of the alternative investments practice. And he kind of joked with me one time that, that he doesn't have any, any clients who, who don't have a Park Avenue address. And there's that much business just on Park Avenue and financial services for him. Atlanta is not quite that way. We've got kind of a perimeter highway called 285, which would be like the perimeter of a clock face, if you look at it that way, um, with you know downtown, midtown, Buckhead, um, central perimeter, and then kind of up west, Cumberland Galleria, submarkets. I would say I focus in most of those five um, but we'll do deals outside of, of 285 as well as the city continues to grow and space and land inside the perimeter is just more and more hard to come by. Cool. So let's just imagine you're, you know, out for a day, you have a pretty light calendar, at least for the morning and you want to, you want to stack a building, like, you know, start from, you know, 8am when, when you leave the house and like, what is, what does your day look like when you're, when you're looking to start to do that legwork that you described so, earlier? Great question. Um, I, I would actually back up a little bit and say that if I'm going to very seldom do I ever just like pass a building and go, oh, I'm just parking, like drive in there. Atlanta is we're lucky as office brokers in Atlanta in that um, we don't yet have the security turnstiles in a lot of the elevators to, to prevent us from getting up into, um, you know, an office floor, like some buildings are quite secure, right? MailChimp has a huge headquarters at Pond City Market here in Atlanta. And, and Charlie Harrison can't just get in an elevator at PCM and go knock on Ben Chestnut's door. Um, but most of the buildings, even even nice class A buildings, you know, if you if you know what you're doing, you can get up into the floors and um, and walk around. So I would say that if I knew I was going to stack a building, I would look at the building on, you know, a co-star or, a, or a format like that the night before to know, okay, when I go into this building, here's, here's what full floor years is I can expect. These are the floors that will probably be locked. Here's the, these are the floors I'm going to probably be able to get out and walk around on. What I try not to do is like get in an elevator, push a button and then be totally surprised with who's on on that floor, because that's a quick way to get thrown out of a building um, when it's pretty obvious that you're not supposed to be where you are. So I try to do as much research on the building as I can beforehand. Um, but then the next morning I'll get up, I'll park. Um, I'll just try to act like a normal, a normal, you know, user, uh, tenant in the building. I usually like to start from the top down. Um, so I'll take the elevator up to the top floor, assuming it's not locked. I'll do a lap around um, again, try to remain as inconspicuous as possible. I try to act like I'm just a tenant on that floor that's walking, texting on his phone, going to the bathroom. Um, but what I'm really doing is writing down the tenant names and the suite numbers and, and trying to estimate square footages and stuff like that. So I literally just do that floor by floor all the way to the bottom. Um, and hopefully, you know, if, if you don't get tossed, you, uh, you leave the building with, you know, anywhere from 15 to 50 potential prospects uh, that you can go home and, and put in your CRM and, and uh, hopefully get to call on. 
Yeah, you gotta just make sure you don't wear the suit that day because you might look very conspicuous if you're fully suited up at the time. I made right? the mistake the the first couple times I ever stacked a building. I was wearing um, I was wearing like wood sold Allen Edmonds loafers, you know that like my parents had bought for me or something. Is like a hey, you got your your first real job present, and uh, I mean I think I did something like it was like seventeen thousand steps or something like that that day, and like. I, I I literally could not move <laughs> at the end of the morning. And so I've got a pair of like the rubber sole Cole Haan, you know, they still look nice. It's not like I'm wearing, rocking around in, in like athletic trainers, but, but running shoes. But uh, yeah, the, the, for, the, for any of the young guys or gals that are interested in stacking buildings, get a, a comfortable pair of shoes because you'll be on your feet a lot. Yeah. Literally doing the leg work. What, like, what is the likelihood that you actually drop in on somebody? Like, do you do a little bit of research ahead of time? I mean, if you know your market and you know who these tenants generally are, sometimes you actually even know who the decision maker is if they're sitting in that office. Like, how how bold do you get, like, in terms of literally, like, door canvassing, like, knocking on yeah, doors, so asking, I, asking for somebody? Admittedly, I have not done that in the almost four years that I've been at CBRE. I think that there are some brokers in Atlanta that do that. They tend not to work at the at the bigger firms, and, and I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's not. I'm I'm not afraid to call a cell phone. I'm not afraid to pick up the phone. Um, I've just always felt like knocking on someone's door, especially in the pandemic. They don't know if you're vaccinated or like what. You don't know what their comfort level is with, um, you know, kind of an unwanted visitor. So I've always just seen that as a surefire way to get tossed out of a building. Um, I, again, I've heard some some success stories. But my goal is to get in the building and get the data out of the building, not necessarily meet people in it. So maybe if I had a little more guts, I'd knock on the doors. But um, reality is with the, the, bigger, the bigger users that I'm trying to call on 20,000 square feet and up, it's going to be really hard to knock on the door and have the decision makers sitting right there. There's going to be five to eight gatekeepers that <laughs> quite literally yeah. call security before I can get to him or her. Yeah. It might be crossing the line a bit. It's wrong. I just haven't done it myself. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've rostered this building, you've gone top to bottom, you've avoided areas where, you know, you're going to, you know, you, you're not going to get in or get caught. Um, are you taking notes during this process? Are you walking around with like a, a legal pad or, you, you know, acting like, you're looking at your phone and like taking notes yeah. and then what, what do you do with that information once you get back? So to again, I, I think the goal is to keep a low profile. So I, it's really obvious. Maybe I just see it cause I am a tenant rep. And so when I see interns or other young guys and gals from other firms walking around with a legal pad, I'm like, I know exactly what they're doing. Um, I found the best way to do it is uh, just to open up the notes app on your iPhone and just jot down the suite number dash tenant name, and then in and then I'll put you know three thousand to the right of it if I if it looks like it's about three thousand square feet or if it's a half floor, I'll just put HF half floor and I know when I get back to my computer that's about twelve thousand to fifteen thousand square feet. I use a, a CRM um, like most brokers probably do, so I just go back and basically recreate the stacks on my own, and I have like my own little. Co-star build outs, I guess, stacks of the buildings. Um, and it I can track, you know, tenant data and whatnot. So I try to um, I also back everything up on Excel, which is really, really time consuming. 
um, but it allows me to control the data, which is nice. And uh, so, yeah, so I'll stack a building again, you know, average buildings probably got, I don't know, 40 tenants in it or something like that. If it's, if it's not just a bunch of like single floor users. And so that night I will spend a good chunk of the evening trying to uh, gather as much data as I can, um, whether it be direct lines, emails, cell phones, whatnot. So that then when I wake up the next morning, I've got, you know, a list of 25 to 50 names that I can call. And then uh, how often are you doing this? Are you checking multiple buildings a week? I mean, I, I would imagine like once you get your market stacked, like there's probably a period where like, all right, I, I got a really good set of data here. This should last me a while. And of course, like changes happen, right? New tenants move in, you know, people turn over. So how often are you kind of recycling through your process? The stacks are probably good for three years. I think every three years a building should probably be restacked. Um, admittedly, I, my partner and I, I've got a senior partner named Nima, who's a couple years older than me. Um, we stacked a good bit when I first showed up with him. We were very, very fortunate pre-pandemic. We were blessed with an unbelievable intern named Bridget, who um, most you know, 23-year-olds would just be scared out of their minds to walk into a building and run the risk of getting tossed out. And, and she, she, maybe she was lying to us, but she seemed to really enjoy it. Um, and so the three of us kind of collectively, but really Bridget doing a lot of the legwork sacked almost every class A office building in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I did it with her at the start, kind of showed her the ropes, you know, this is where you run if you think you're being chased, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but she, she helped us tremendously in gathering the data. So we're, we're almost at the three-year mark now where a little bit of our info probably needs to be refreshed. But yeah, it was, you know, once you've got the building done, um, that's only a small, a small part of it. You've got to get all that info for the tenants loaded into the building. So I would say we averaged probably two to three buildings a week trying to call the exact same number. You know, we started out with ambitious goals of a building a day, but that's just there quite literally aren't enough hours in the day to stack it, get all the tenant data and then check that data internally at CBRE to make sure we're not stepping on other people's toes. So realistically, it's like probably one to three buildings a week. Yeah. And then you get hired and you have to start doing deals and then that starts taking up all your yeah, time. So, yeah, yeah. No, I, that's not, I wish that 100 percent of my time was just business development, but it's not. Yeah, there's the, the reason why Bridget probably likes it is because there's just like a sense of freedom uh, with this job where, you know, you can not be chained to your desk, right? You're out and about, like you're, you're actually getting to know your city better, your market better, you get to meet people, you kind of, it's, it was she, always uh, weird, like, yeah. She definitely learned a lot. Again, I, maybe she was just lying to Nima and me and she didn't really like it. Hopefully that's not the case because we certainly loved her. <laughs> Um, and we were sad when she, she, she got an awesome job still in the real estate industry elsewhere. Um, but she, she helped us tremendously and we miss her a lot. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned like getting chased or getting thrown out. Like, has that ever happened to you? Like, what are, what are some of your, uh, you know, incognito tactics? Yeah, I've, <laughs> I, luckily I've never been tossed. Um, I've, I've been kept from entering buildings sometimes. Um, like one time I tried to make up a story that I was, that I, I knew the elevator was locked, but I was like, if I could just get in then I could use the staircase to get onto the other floors. Um, and so I told security that I was, I, and they're like, they're like, Oh, that's funny. That company just, um, 
just, in, you know, just distributed like new employee badges for the first time. Like, where's yours? And I was like, uh, <laughs> left it at home. <laughs> I forgot it in the car. Like, let me go back and get it. And obviously, I never returned to this building. So I've heard stories of security, you know, chasing brokers through the buildings. I, they like to say at CB that you haven't really stacked until you've been tossed out of a building. Um, I don't know if that means I'm a good stacker or if I'm not doing it enough that I haven't been thrown out. But um, I've, I've been paranoid a few times and ducked into some bathrooms because I thought that I was being chased, uh, but I might've just been making it up. Yeah. I've been in that situation too. I always found that like the uh, first floor amenities, whether it's like the cafe or a coffee shop that's in there is a great way to hide out. Cause you're like, well, that's I'm just right. getting a cup of coffee, you know, like that's right. They can't, they can't fault you for spending money in their building. So what, um, Give us like a success story from all of this. Obviously, you you get the data, you, you you scrub it through your database at CB. You make sure you're not calling on people who are already clients or other people have relationships with. And then I would imagine that like you know universe of, of prospects starts to narrow down a little bit. And then you see some that are like, oh, these are gold. Like I know their lease expiration is coming up in less than two years. I know who the person is. You know. Know, like we can reach out directly to them. Obviously, some of them end up being dead ends. You know, you, you chase, you chase, you chase. Maybe you never really get the right information, but every once in a while you get a hit, right? So how does, how, you know, how does that feel? And like, you walk us through maybe a, a good story about, you know, from stack to uh, getting hired. Yeah, I, um, there was a deal. I had a tweet on November the 2nd, I guess this year, November the 3rd, whatever that first Monday was, I closed a deal literally the first Monday of the new year that had obviously taken months leading up to that to finish. But that was a cold call. It was a, a healthcare group in Central Perimeter Submarket in Atlanta. My partner and I, we will do a lot of cold calling together, which is, I think is, I think is a great way to do it because it kind of just takes the edge off of what can be scary not fun, monotonous, like, like we'll sit down with a list of 50. I'll call the first one. He calls the second one. We, we do it on speakerphone sitting across from each other. And that way, you know, if one of us succeeds, it, it motivates the other on the flip side. If one of us really puts our foot in our mouth or just says the wrong thing or messes up or gets yelled at, it's, we just laugh it off, you know? And, and I think when you don't take it that seriously, it just makes it a little easier. So this was a case where it was my turn to call got a hold of the guy on his cell phone. He was not thrilled that I called his cell phone. Originally told me that their lease wasn't up for three years and that I had called the, at the wrong time. And then I got an email from him the next day that was like, oh, by the way, our lease actually rolls uh, middle of 22. We do need some help. So I called him back and we kind of just walked through the process of what it would be like you know, for my team to help his, the value add that we bring. They ended up in an awesome, awesome new space, just a little bit north of where they were at a great rental rate, a bunch of free rent and um, some killer views that they didn't have in their other space. And it all came about um, just from a cold call, which was great. So, again, the I don't know of any broker that, you know, if you if you batted 300 as a as a cold calling broker, you'd be the greatest of all time. I don't know anybody that probably gets one or two meetings you know, after making a hundred phone calls at, at most. Um, and this was certainly in that line. I'd had 20 calls before this one that where I just landed flat on my face, but this was a good example of one where, you know, the hard work was making the call, but I happened to call the right guy at the right time with a need. And I kind of just got lucky. So I guess it's a bit like fishing, right? Like 
like nobody's again is going to bat a thousand with cold calling, but the guy that makes a hundred calls a day or, or a week um, is akin to having a hundred fishing lines dangling in the water off the back of his boat. He's going to get luckier and catch more fish than the guy that just has one line or the, the broker that wants to make five phone calls a week. So that's just kind of how I look at it. Yeah, it's a numbers game, but as, if you're putting in the legwork like you're doing by stacking and canvassing and rostering, you're you're bettering your chances because you, you might have better information than the next guy, which is important. Um, besides, so just stepping away from the stacking and canvassing and cold calling a little bit, what are some other ways you guys you know develop business? Are you are you into LinkedIn? Are you networking a lot? Like you know, the life of a tenor rep broker isn't just like you know you know walking floors of properties yeah. and, and writing stuff down. I'm good with people. And, um, and so I, I try to spend as much, that's why the pandemic has been tough because when, you know, I feel like my X factor is being with people and when I can't be with people, you know, I'm, I'm, I have to use the phone and send email kind of like everybody else. And, um, and so not that we're post pandemic by any stretch, but, but, um, you know, as more and more people have become more comfortable getting together, I've tried to, you know, I'll try and eat a certain number of lunches each week with with either other brokers or prospects or friends. A lot of times it's just trying to meet with anybody where I think I could extract like one good piece of information, even if that person's not necessarily a target or a prospect. Um, I also try to give a lot more than I ask. Um, my partner and I try to be really generous um, with the office landlord brokers around Atlanta, not just at our firm, but at others. You know, we we tend to come across a lot of information and if we can share that with them and it helps them, even if it's not a deal that we get returned to us right away, we, we know that we're providing value to them and perhaps they keep our name in mind if they see an unrepresented tenant or something like that on down the road. So um, I try to just touch as many people as I can kind of throughout each week in hopes that when they think of Charlie Harrison, they think of, oh, he's the office broker, like, you know, um, and if, and if that's the first thing that pops in their mind, then I've done a good job. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a really good point you bring up with the pandemic, how hard it's been to get together in person with people. It just kind of takes that element out of it. But somebody told me once that like, if the, if the 10 closest people to you don't know what you do, then like you're, you're, you're going to miss out on opportunities. And it, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, being a pushy salesperson and your social network versus, you know, just like letting people know, Hey, this is what I do for a living. So that like when yeah. an idea pops in their head, like, Oh, you got to talk to Charlie about that. He can help you. One of my mentors here in Atlanta is a, one of Atlanta's most respected CEOs. And, uh, he's got a creative services firm headquartered in Midtown. He's, he's written a book. And in the book, in conversation to me, but in the book, he talks about how they, they won, his firm won a lot of really substantial business over the last 20 years. Um, and his, his motto is long-term low pressure. And uh, his biggest clients, of which there are many, they all came to him. He didn't have to ask for the business. And it's because, especially in one instance, he spent like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years just trying to give to this, this one company, expecting, hoping for, but expecting nothing in return. And sure enough, this group calls him and, uh, and they will never leave. They will always be a client of this guy's group because they approached him, not the other way around. So um, that sounds great. There is nobody that's just going to approach a third or a fourth year office broker and say, please let me, let me give you my business. So you have to do a lot of right. asking and yeah. taking. 
early on, but with the massive accounts that you hope to work after your 10th year or something like that, if you just drip on them like this guy did with a lot of his clients uh, and apply that long-term low pressure mindset. And, and uh, I think that, you know, hopefully on down the road, my partner and I'll have some good success. Oh, for sure. For sure. All right, cool. So we're going to try out a, a new format um, for the season of the show. Uh, rapid fire five questions here. We're going to give you a minute to answer each one. You don't have to take all the time, uh, okay. but uh, we're going to, we're going to start now and one of them is kind of segued off what you mentioned earlier so question number one um how's the atlanta office market uh handling this uh pandemic with resilient um it's it's yeah it's been a resilient city for the office market we we were not immune to covid we we took it on the chin in 2020 last year was a good year um but i think we've been the beneficiary of um a lot of what has frustrated businesses and and particular states around the United States, Atlanta has seemed to absorb a lot of new business, whether that be a total headquarters relocation or kind of an HQ2. Um, we've we've seen a lot of companies come here the last 12 to 18 months, which has been great. Cool. Question two. What are the what are the fastest growing sectors in your market? Kind of segueing off that last one. Uh, probably life sciences and general tech. We had a group called the Global Health Innovation. They signed a 200,000 square foot lease um, in a building called Tower Square in Midtown a couple of weeks ago. Um, FanDuel has got like a new tech hub in Atlanta at Pond City Market, 70,000 square feet. Microsoft took half a million square feet last year at Atlantic Yards. Um, Airbnb, we're hearing, is out in the market for kind of an HQ2 in Atlanta and then Carvana um, signed almost a 600,000 square foot sublease, the old state, so some state farm headquarters space uh, earlier this year. So um, it seems like a lot of what you read on the internet would speak to the office dying, but we're not seeing that in Atlanta. Well, that's certainly good news. Question number three, um, what's the hardest part about your job? Uh, feeling like success is a limited cup. You know, there are a finite number of office tenants in, in Atlanta, as there are in any city. And generally, if I cold call or, or pick up a new client, I'm taking that client away from somebody else. Um, I'm very competitive, but I'm not heartless. And, and I, don't like, I don't like knowing that I'm kind of hurting somebody else. So I'm very, I'm sensitive to that. But at the end of the day, you got to put food on the table and do what you got to do. So I'm going to make the cold call. But I, I don't necessarily like knowing that in a lot of instances, I'm taking business from somebody else. You got some empathy there, which is nice. Good. Um, question four, what's the best part about your job? Dialoguing with all sorts of executives across all sorts of lines of business. Um, the medium might be real estate, but we get to touch, again, tons of different businesses each year. And I just think that I get to learn a bit about their business as we progress through a lease transaction. Uh, and then oftentimes that, that executive becomes a friend for life, you know, a long time, if not life. So I love getting to learn about, I was not a business major in college and I feel like I've had like a real life MBA crash course just by getting to know many of my clients. Awesome. 
And final question. Uh, we got through the super wild card weekend of the NFL season. I'm not sure if you're a football fan or not, but you're, you're in Atlanta down south. So I'm sure there's, you know, it's hard to avoid. Uh, give us your uh, Super Bowl prediction. The, the two teams that are going to make it from the AFC, NFC, and who your, who your champ is going to be. My, my I am a football fan. My granddad was the Atlanta Falcons physician for decades. So I grew up going to games. Um, sadly, the Falcons have, have had a tough go of it since they almost won the Super Bowl. Um, I think that uh, it's going to hard, be hard to not see the Packers uh, playing for the Super Bowl. And I'm friends with a broker here at CB who's a huge Bills fan. So out of support for him, I'm going to say it's, it's Packers-Bills, probably with Packers taking a kick. Nice. Well, two good picks. The Bills game was one of the best games that a football team has ever played in the playoffs. So if that's any indication, you know, they might be on their way. Which Josh Allen's the real deal. He is a real deal. It'd be great to see Buffalo get a, get a title as well. Uh, Charlie, this has been awesome, man. Thanks for all your insight. Um, this is good tactical information. It's great, great to get to know you and, you know, let's, let's stay in touch on Twitter. And uh, of course, you know, don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on, uh, you know, some other time in the future as, as we can revisit some of these, uh, these takes. Thanks so much for having me, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. All right, Charlie, take care, man.